Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. What do we celebrate on the 31st of October? Wrong. What do we particularly... Oh, sorry? Your birthday. Oh, that would be nice. What do, what do Christians this year celebrate on the 31st of October? Nope. Well, you do, but more than that. Did I tell you? Reformation Day. It will be 500 years since Martin Luther hammered 39 theses, basically a bunch of things that he thought were going wrong with the church, on the door of a a place in Wittenberg. And somebody took that, and it was a new information age because there was a printing press that had just been invented. And he didn't even want to get it. He just wanted to pick a fight, basically, and get some people arguing. A lot of what he said wasn't even original. It was stuff that lots of people had been saying in the church for years, but he happened to formulate it into 39 questions about why do we even do this in the church? Things like, why are we selling indulgences? Which basically meant that the way that the Catholic Church at that time had gone meant that there was um, people would be in um, purgatory when they died, your relatives and friends, you, you could never be sure that they'd gone straight to heaven, but one thing you could do is pay the, the Pope some money, and if you did that, then the Pope or somebody else would say a prayer for the soul that was in, in purgatory, and then they could be released out of purgatory, and, uh, and they wouldn't have to stay in hell. And he added in the, this whole letter, so he's basically saying, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Sorry, it's really echoey this, it's going back in my ears. If anybody could help with that, that'd be good. So, um, how do, he's saying, how, you know, I've got some questions about that and some people started to question it and it was like a snowball effect that took place and changed everything. And after that, you've then got something, you know, Protestantism that came out of it. And as a result of that, you have all these different denominations and Baptists and, um, you know, all these, and you've got the Roman Catholic Church, which, you know, carries on the same, but has itself been reforming in various ways. But you've got this other group of people who've come out and you've got John Calvin and other people who follow Martin Luther and say different things. They have different kinds of baptism. Not going to go into all of that, but there's this huge knock-on effect from one guy hammering something on the door and saying something's wrong with the church or some things are wrong with the church. And why don't we reform it? And people came and reformed it. They didn't want to, he didn't want to scrub it, he just wanted to change it. He wanted to make it a little bit better by asking these questions. But, but then there was all kinds of things that were repercussions to that. And it got bloody, it got messy. And you know, people ended up getting beheaded all over the place. And it, was, it wasn't fun. What if they only went halfway? Not even halfway. What if that Reformation, which is wonderful and we're going to celebrate 500 years of, what if they only changed some things but they didn't change everything that needed to be changed back then? And what if we've kind of limped along in some ways? Because, because what he was trying to do was in some ways saying the, 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 the way in which we're saved, people are making it about paying money to the Pope or 
or um, doing these various acts of religion. And actually, I was reading the book of Romans one day and I felt like God spoke to me and said that we're not saved that way at all. We're saved by, we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ through his grace, not works. And this is what the Bible seems to be talking about. And so he was saying those kind of questions and people, as I say, form churches and denominations about that. So that was, the, the posh word for that is soteriology, how we are saved. So in 1517, the, the battle was all about how we are saved, soteriology, if we can put the first one on. What if we're living in the time now where actually the next reformation is gonna take place, which is about how we are church? which is ecclesiology, the way, not we do church, but the way that we are church. What if the Holy Spirit is doing something and you're living in the most exciting time in history, potentially, whereby God is gonna change, not just how we think about how we are saved by God, but also how we are the church and how that affects the whole world. What if the things that, that, that even at that time, you know, God just didn't change people or, or, or people didn't go far enough with that reformation because you see what they, they came in and they reformed stuff about how we're, how we're saved but then they looked at things like buildings and they still couldn't get it out of their head to think that we'd have to have buildings that were like temples because we had the Old Testament and we are thinking in an Old Testament way and in those days, you know, a guy called Constantine, who was an emperor, when he, he came along and, and he started to say, well, well we, we need, to, be, we need to, to, to worship in those same kind of ways. So we need buildings like this one. And we need certain people who will be like priests. They'll be the ordained ones. And they kept this in Catholicism, but then other people repeated it in the new kinds of church that they were bringing. So they were talking in a different way about how we're being saved, but in terms of how lots of stuff actually happened in church and the kind of buildings that were being built, all those kind of things were, were like a, a, re, a, you know, a slightly changed version of, of what it used to be like. And they didn't go further enough back, they didn't go right back to the New Testament and say, well, what was it like when it all got started off, when, when these people were turning the world upside down like we just heard about in the book of Acts? They didn't have the buildings. They didn't have priests. They had this idea that everybody was a church leader. Everybody. Everybody was the church. Who's a church leader in the room? There's a few people putting their hand up. All right, who's the church? Keep your hand up. Who has influence on anybody? Okay, a, church, so a person of influence is a leader. I'm going to put the two things together. Who's a church leader? You have a place of influence. I think we finished this last Sunday. I was talking to a guy in a car today. I was dropping him off. And he was saying about how in his particular setup, the only track that you can ever go down is talk. He said, I've got to this place where basically they keep talking about me being ordained. And I said, you, I said, you are ordained. There's, you've got a church. There are some people that if you don't reach them, I don't know how they're going to be reached. I'm not going to reach them. I don't know who those people are, but God has incredibly connected you to those people for you to be the kingdom of priests that is going to bring the gospel, or is meant to, to those people and to represent him in a way that nobody else is going to. And if we all wait around for one person to be able to do it, which has been the problem, then we'll wonder why no, so few people are coming to Jesus. I had this incredible revelation that happened in the week. I was just telling uh, Ollie when we were talking about the, what's God been kind of speaking to you about. And it wasn't... Well, 
I just did a wedding down at my old church down in Surrey. So I went down to the old church building, 11th century, beautiful building. They put some new speakers in it and done it amazingly. And we had another guy who was speaking and I was doing it. And then I, I looked around and there were some people from my old church and some people from here and some people that were also connected to. And there's a family here that I was, you know, helped give the gospel to and disciple them and help them and they've got all their family over here and they're from one setting and then there's this other setting and then I just had this like moment of wowness in the middle of the service I thought you're connected to them 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 and there's all these kind of gospel connections that are going on and I just sort of and I was like God just showed me for a glimpse for a minute and I suddenly thought I wonder if it's, if it's going to be like this in heaven I actually wonder if when we get to heaven we're going to find that Joe was connected to Roscoe and that Roscoe was connected to Matt who was connected to Joel who was connected and there's all these like pieces of string like golden threads if you like that of the gospel that in some way we're all what if we get there and we find out you know like there's this seven degrees of separation we're all kind of connected supposedly have you heard of that what if there's like just a few degrees of gospel separation and that you're part of my story and I'm part of your story and you're meant to be part of your story and there's people that are your church at your workplace, on your street, in your neighbourhood. You've been put there for a reason. You are ordained as a priest to those people. You're a church leader. You've got a church. You've got people that you're meant to be reaching for Jesus. And he wants to empower you and anoint you and ordain you to be the kingdom of priests. And that was what was never taken far enough in that first reformation. They reformed how we're saved, but they didn't reform how we're church. And as a result of that, it never went far enough. And it never penetrated and made the difference for the gospel that it really could have done. And perhaps now we're living in times when actually this is going to happen again, when, when God is going to give the church back to his people. When actually we give the, the church back to Jesus, first of all. And then he gives it back to us. And I mean us, all of us. And it's a... It's a it's a mind shift, it's a spirit shift for us to be able to think about that. Because often, if you go into a town and you say to somebody, oh, can you, can you show me where the church is? Yeah? People, what are you going to do? Oh, the church, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, down, it's down there. And you're going to point to the building down the end of the road or whatever. But what if it's more like this cartoon here? If, if somebody was to say to you, where's the church? And mor morale, if you can put the next one, please. <laughs> where's the church? Yeah, we're the church. So where's the church? Wherever I go. Wherever I go, I'm the church. I'm the church to those people. Paul's the church to the people that he's connecting to. He, you know, we are, we are the church all the time, wherever we go. If we'll be that church, if we'll actually do that, we'll, we'll be that. And this is again a mindset, and I talked about it a little bit last week, and in some ways, this week is a follow-on from last week, because I talked about how our gospel can be so small, and it can just be this individual thing where it's like, I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus, and, it's, and, and I prayed this prayer, and so now I go to church, and I add Christianity, I add some practices onto my life, like um, I stop doing this, and I start doing the following three things. But all I'm doing is actually adding boxes onto my life that already had lots of boxes, Rather than letting Jesus transform everything from the centre outwards and how I view myself and, and letting the kingdom of God just burst out into all those different areas, every facet of my life. What would it make a difference to you if, t if, you, if you work, if tomorrow you went to work and you saw yourself, you woke up in the morning and said to God, 
Thank you, this, I'm a, this is a kingdom of priests thing and I'm, I'm ordained for this place. If I'm, I'm ordained to be on this street. You, you know, see, in, in the book of Acts, it says God decided, ordained, the exact places where you should live. So that other people could find him. That's literally what it says. He put you there so other people could find him. And then it says, although he's not far from any one of us, because in him we live and move and have our being. And there's this incredible pattern of stuff that God is doing. It's this internal tapestry. And when they get to heaven, we're going to be like, wow, you're here, you're here, you're here. And you're going to say, yeah, I'm here because you're here. And, he, and because Simon told me this and he told you that. And da, 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 da. Wow, isn't God amazing? Isn't, and it all, he can, oh, there's only him who can get the glory because there'll be all this stuff you can never track on a computer. Not the biggest supercomputer in the world could never track all those intersections of all those different stories that God's weaving together throughout the whole of history. And he decided the date you were going to be born. He decided the place you were going to be born. He decided the places that you'd move to. He decided the jobs that you were going to get and the jobs that you weren't going to get. And he decided the, the, the people you were going to meet. And he decided all of it and was part in some way working it all together for good not just for our good but for his glory and this changes lots and it should change lots and there's another thing that needs to change if this changes and I believe that this should change and it will change and it is changing and you're in the middle of, of it changing and we'll either some of us will resist it and some of us will help it I, w- I don't want to be a resistor anybody else I want to be part of this and that means I'm going to have to drop some stuff. I'm going to have to leave some stuff. I'm going to have to say to God, I'm giving what church means back to you and giving it over to you. And the, I don't know what it means to me. It might mean at some point in the future that I end up not effectively, efficient, working for the church. Or it could be that I'm just one of those people in this generation who's meant to be handing it over. A new kind of church, a different kind of church, or churches for the future. Maybe we don't just drop everything I'm going to be in Lambeth Palace on Tuesday morning I'll be meeting with the Archbishop of Canterbury and I was thinking ooh I was thinking yes I was thinking what would you know if it, just, it was just me and him what would I ask him I don't think it will just be me and him there's a few people there I was like what would I ask him and I honestly thought if it was just me and him honestly what I'd probably say to him is do you actually want to preside over a dying denomination and, and then finish or do you want to be part of what God's going to raise up in the future. Because it could be that you could think, well, faithfulness would say, I just preside over what's dying and help it to kind of keep going a bit longer. But what if God's doing something and changing and reforming the church for the 21st century? Because what used to work isn't working. Maybe this is the reason why it isn't working. Because it was never meant to work that way. And God's like, yeah, if you worked it differently, you'd get different results. And if you keep on doing the same thing, you didn't keep on getting the same results. And this is the same with mission. And this is the thing that we talk about missions, don't we? You've heard that, you know, we talk about missions. If we can have the next slide, please, Morel. Missions. Um, you know, you can have a missions budget, a missions department, people who are missionaries, etc. And for years we talked about missions. And, and what does that come from? It comes from that, very, that different idea of church, but it also comes effectively from a bygone era, and it isn't from the 20, 21st century that we live in. So it's, here's a picture of what missions ended up looking like. This was South Africa, 
This is the white man coming to a group of people who had never ever heard about Jesus. And in order for him to do that, and I absolutely admire this man, whoever he was, because he's left everything behind and he's come from one place and he's gone to another place and maybe he's had to learn their language in order to be able to teach them John 3.16 and to help them to be able to work out who God is and to be able to say to them, you know, you've worshipped all kinds of gods in the past. I'm here to, to tell you about Jesus Christ and he's the saviour of the world and he's come to save you and he loves you. That's why I'm here. And that those people would leave behind everything and get on a boat or do whatever they needed to do to go to another nation to be able to reach those people and they'd have to go and live there for years to be able to learn that language and to be able to connect with those people. They'd have to embed themselves in that culture fully and become part of that culture. And you've got people like... Hudson Taylor and others, and we've got pictures upstairs of Ivy missionaries who went to China and dressed as Chinese people in order to be able to win Chinese people. And I love it, and it's amazing that they would do that. But do you know what? We don't have to do that these days in lots of places because they're here. If you want to reach Chinese people, take a walk. <laughs> and who's going to be better to reach Chinese people back in China you or them who know the language you know the customs and now they know Jesus they can take Jesus there to them without all of that cultural and basically the other thing that we don't do is we don't have to make them like English people because that's what they ended up doing because we all we, we don't even know half the time how, how much our culture affects me and the way I think things should be done. So I import my cultural um, preferences about what time of the day we should meet and, and what we should wear in church and, and what's right and proper. And a lot of that was just Englishness. You know, what side of the road we should drive on. That's not in the Bible. But these all came in as part of the cultural baggage together with the gospel. And we ended up saying to, whereas there were some things actually that they were doing that we could have quite easily just segued into and helped them to be able to understand that God has been speaking into your nation, into your culture, as long as he's been speaking into ours, but just in different ways. And this God that you've been worshipping is wood and stone and all those kind of different things became one of us and was crucified on wood for us. So you don't have to worship the wood. You can worship the one who was crucified on a cross for us. And, and to be able to find those bridges to be able to help them, rather than just saying, stop that, but segue, help them to be able to understand this is what that is. And it all started, there's this move, you see, from missions to, from missions to mission. See, when we hear the word missions, we tend to think missionary. And we think about somebody who comes back from somewhere to church, maybe on a special evening, and in the old days they would get out like a, some pictures and show us the pictures of these people in some funny country with different languages and different, you know, dressing differently. And they talk about their work among these people and everybody, all right. And our job was to support them because they were the ones who went and we were the ones who remained. And again, I'm not dismissing that. I'm saying, could we be on a turning of that page? Could we be living through that in our day? And I think we are. And that doesn't mean we just drop those people who are still doing it. But what if God's doing something different? 
See, we made missions a specialised ministry for a few called people, rather than the heritage of every Christian believer to be a missional disciple of Jesus Christ. It started with a wonderful man of God called William Carey. We've got a picture of him. We've got a few quotes by him. And I love the guy, I've read his biography, incredible, mighty man of God, who in 1792... And around that time, just starts and forms the first kind of missionary societies. And he was, um, and this is what he said: "I chide my countrymen for deciding it would be impossible for the gospel to travel over great distances, to penetrate varied cultures when they're willing to face the same trials for the sake of commerce." In other words, if you say you love Jesus but you won't go to another nation, why would you? Do you love money more that you'd go to that same nation? This is the kind of things that he challenged them with. And then to know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. In other words, we all should be people to consider, should I be going to a different country in order to be able to reach those people who, who, who can't be reached otherwise? Because you know what? They didn't have something called the internet in those days. So somebody had to go. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't. Attempt great things for God, expect great things for God. Some things never change. That's, I, I still am with that one 100%. This is what we should be doing. But maybe it's different in our day than it was in his day. So maybe we need to consider doing it differently. Because the end result of having missionaries who get sent and other people who remain and pray for them and occasionally receive um, notes and letters and all, all this kind of stuff is that you actually end up making this a department of the church rather than part of the church so picture next one is it's like this missions is a, is a department you've got various departments in, the, in a church I've just listed a few of them missions is one of them and so oh, it could even be on the budget you have um, we need money for children and young people, we need money for worship, we need money for buildings. Oh, we make, and we, we give some money to missions. And we have a missions budget. Now, again, I'm not dissing this. And what I'm talking about is, is direction of travel for the future, of where we are heading. I'm, I'm trying to help us to think into our future rather than just letting our future happen to us. Because that's often what the church has done. We end up with missions being cut off from the rest of the things that church does I went to, a, exactly a year ago, I was in America, and I was in a great church, and the guy there basically asked me to come, and I wish I'd read some of this stuff a bit more then, because I really would have blown his church to bits. But, but he was saying, in his church, the way it happened was, they had this massive department in this huge church in America that was all about supporting missions. And they've got the church going on over here, and then they've got the missions department. And they actually had their own building, their own staff, their own stuff that was all going on just to support these missionaries. And it was cut off from the life of the church completely. The missions was what we send people to sometimes rather than who we are all of the time. We're not a sent people like we just heard. We send some people. And the downside, as I say, of that model is the way it disempowers the church because mission becomes a department. And mission has often become a department area and it competes for budget, competes for space on the notices, together with all the other stuff that's going on in the church. And again, you can include in missions at some point, you might get some, what you would call compassion ministries or parachurch ministries, which again, do brilliant stuff. 
the idea of parachurch is it comes alongside the church and it does what the church was supposed to be doing all along but isn't doing so we these things form because the church isn't doing evangelism like it should do so you get something like the message that steps up and starts to do brilliant evangelism we're not very good at meeting youth so andy hawthorne nearly 30 years ago ends up saying we're rubbish the church is rubbish at meeting connecting with youth what can we do let's form something that reaches those people and this is so often what happens, there's a deficiency in the church, so somebody raises up a mission to come alongside and do it. But that ain't the way God wanted it. Do you know, do we know does anybody here think that God really wanted it to be like that? That the churches would be so disinterested in reaching young people that somebody else would have to have a burning passion for that and start it off? I don't think so. I'm not saying that the message isn't wonderful, I love the message. But what I'm saying is, it, it was never God's plan A for that to happen. The, the, the Andy would go to all of the churches and the Bishop of Manchester and say, do you know of anything that's happening to reach young people in Manchester? And him say, nothing. And what about if instead, this was the picture of what it's meant to be, the mission was supposed to be what sits underneath and is foundational to everything that we do as church. A mission is part of everything else. Anything else that we do. It's like, if it's not mission, why are we doing it? If it's not reaching people and discipling people and growing people, why on earth are we even bothering doing that? Because if it's true, and I believe it is, that God is on a mission, that's the next slide. If it's true God's on a mission, why isn't the church on a mission? Why isn't everything that the church does in some way about reaching out to people who are far from God because our God is ascending God as we heard before and this is part of who he is and he wants that none should perish and one day all nations will worship him every tribe and tongue that's 24,000 people groups at least that's, that's the dream of God the great commission one day will become the great completion it will be done the consummation of history because the father sent himself effectively in his word to a group of people and they formed a nation called Israel his ascending God and then he sent his son into the world because they couldn't do it and he needed to step in himself and then the son sends the father and the son send the spirit who sends the church and that's you and me every single one of us who says that we're the church and like Alan Hirsch says there next slide please it isn't that God's mission has a church it's not that God's church has a mission it's that God's mission has a church it's like that sinking what does that actually mean that the way in which God has decided that he wants to reach the world is through churches people and again not churches stop, stop going to buildings in your head change it when you read, when you read church we mean you we mean me we are the church we don't just do church and if we're not if, if we haven't got that mission the same as God why are we bothering it, it's not, it actually becomes no longer a church it's just a club it's just a group of people who've got religion as the thing that holds them in some way in common and if we've got a different mission than the mission of Jesus we need to rethink our name and to, you know, and rather than think of missions, we want to help everybody find their Jesus mission, their church, the people that they're meant to connect to. 
their personalised life mission where then every person here ends up, when you leave this place, being scattered, being the salt of the earth. Being the light of the world. Being scattered and seasoning the whole world into every domain of society, every place of art and culture and science and education and healthcare and everything. That's why I love that cartoon picture at the beginning. Because it starts with you and it starts with me. Our God is on a mission. Our God is on a mission. And he wants to send us on a mission. So how does that work out? Well, Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So have you got that? When you go to your church tomorrow that you're the church leader of, and you want it to grow, how do you grow a church? First of all, you get the power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's why it's good to be part of something like this and to come along and be part of this rather than just do it on your own. Because together, I just don't know about you, but I don't find I get the power all that well just on my own. But when we get together in worship, together with other people, and we've got you know, some people who, are, like we just heard before, doing Guitar Hero for Jesus, I'm like, yeah. It just, I just love the, the, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses, you just, talk. what does a witness do? I was in the police. A witness just talks about what they've seen, what they've heard, what happened. And then people make their own mind up whether or not they believe them. You can do that. You don't even have to go to theological college. You don't have to get a degree in it. You don't have to get ordained. You don't have to wear your collar backwards. You don't. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I just want to focus in on that. We're nearly done. What does that actually mean? Jesus said that that was what it was going to be. Well, I'm I'm not making computer slides and everything isn't really my forte. I do my best with it. But here's the next picture. What if there's a, has has God planned for the world of how we reach the world? Is you start with your Jerusalem, which is the place closest to you. That there's people and places close to you. So there's your street, there's your family. There's a connection there to those people. And your job is to be missional and a missionary to cross over to be able to help them find their way back to God in some way. So they're different. Your Jerusalem is actually different to everybody else's Jerusalem here. Because I don't know those people that you know. I'm not related to them and I you know, don't have any chance of going for a coffee with them anytime soon. But I, you've got Jerusalem and I've got Jerusalem. So you're meant to reach your Jerusalem. So when, they, when the apostles heard that, they were thinking of oh, Jerusalem. They were, they were thinking about this locality, these people that are closest to me. Judea. So, I, so for, for us as a church, as Ivy, when I'm talking about Ivy, I'm thinking about what's our Jerusalem? Well, there's some things that we're going to do that are just going to be really close to home. And they're going to be missional. And pretty much all of our services, to be honest with you, are missional. They're always going to be about Helping people find their way back to God. We're regularly going to say to people, if you're far away from God, he's got a plan for your life and he loves you and Jesus died on the cross to save you and you can connect your life to him, follow him and be turned around and it won't just make a difference for heaven but it'll make a difference now in your eternity and in other people's eternity. So give your life to him. We want to be missional as a church here. Beyond that, there's a Judea. There's something that is near to us but a bit different to us in some way so that's you know, I don't know what that could look like but I mean it's, it's like 
You know, there'll be, there could be other churches that we plant and that we end up being connected to and supporting that are not that close to us, but they're close to us in, in spirit, if you like. So I'll, without going into too much detail, I'll say that this morning I had the wonderful privilege, there's a guy that I met with last week who's planting a church in the Rhonda Valley in South Wales. And he's a great guy, and he, uh, he left a church where he's been a pastor for 18 years, and... Um, He's left all that behind because he felt the call of God to go to the Rhonda Valley, which is the, one of the poorest places in the whole of the, of the UK. 50% unemployment. And this guy, John, and his family have moved there and they've started up this, this church. And they, he was saying to me, it's X amount of money, a lot of money to be able to rent a building, to be able to start this church in. And I, to be honest with you, I looked at our budget and what we normally do and I said, no, that sounds like a really good deal. And then I said, so how much money have you got coming in? And he told me, and it was not much at all. So I thought, well, if you're in that position, that is a lot of money. But I've just told him it wasn't a lot of money, so I didn't want to backtrack. <laughs> and I was like, well, God can provide that for you. And, he, and he, there was no element of an ask in this at all. And we had a great time, we had a great meal. I got the meal, and then at the end of it, it was like, thanks for coming, see you at launch. And, you know, I'd love to partner with you guys and pray for you in the gospel. Then we met as elders in the week, and I told the elders. And, and we found out how much it was per week. And so I sent him an email this morning that just said, John... We want to pay for your building for the next year, please. God bless you, Ivy. You see, that's our Judea. It's something that's like us. It's in a way kind of close to us. And I think, you know, you, and, and you could try and give to everything. We can't give to every church, but you can give to some and you can focus. And there's power in focus. And actually, sometimes you've got to say no to some things in order to be able to say yes to something else. And, you know, it's a bit like a hose pipe. Would you rather have a hose pipe that just had the water coming out of one end or one that had lots of holes in it that was spurting everywhere? So we have to focus in order to be able to get the power. So what's the focus? What's our Samaria? I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, for me, I'm, you know, this would be like a ministry, perhaps, that was reaching people here in the city that we are not good at reaching. And we could maybe, or we could plant to reach that. It could be, it could be um, I don't know, something like morale in the future, could say, actually, I want to reach people who are here from Iran. And we go, oh, that's like a Samaritan thing. They're, like, they're culturally different, that's all that means. They're, they're like us and they're close to us, but their culture is one that, to be honest with you, I'm not very good at Farsi. <laughs> but she is. Let's help her to be able to do something that reaches those people. And so, we're, we're, you know, so there's, a, there's a connection there, and that's a Samaria. It's like people who are like us, but they're culturally different, but they're closer. And it's, it seems to me that it's, when you're doing that, then you can also start to start talking about how do we help the ends of the earth. And there's a mission in every single one of those circles. It isn't just that we send some missionaries to the ends of the earth. And I'll go far enough to say that actually I think that we also should be really specific as, as, as time goes on in terms of what does it mean to us to be the ends of the earth and how do we... How do we even focus that down? And I'd love it if over the years ahead we got more and more specific about what, where the, are there some places that God has called us to do and that we can say actually we're called to make a massive difference in a few places rather than a little bit of difference in lots and lots of places. You know, I talked this morning about, for instance, compassion, which is not actually even an Ivy mission partner uh, but we've been able to help this one little village through a whole bunch of people at, in Ivy, sponsoring kids in this one village in Leogan, such that now there's 160, 170 kids that are sponsored by, by people here 
And then last time I went, the pastor is like saying, having put the roof on the building and having all this kind of stuff. He then says to me, having come from this place where there was earthquake and death and destruction, he says, when I, he said, what can I pray for you? And he said, well, can you pray for me that, that we can help reach, we can reach out to that village down there because there's some really poor people there. And, he, and we've been able to help lift that guy out. So then he's thinking about how he can reach some other people that he now sees as being the really poor people. Amazing. So maybe there's ways, and this is something for you to pray about, that we end up focusing our missional efforts over the years to places of maximum impact. I think, for instance, of something like John Witt and the great stuff that they're doing through Dignity. And you know they're planting, actually, churches called life groups all over Africa. And it's like, God's all over that. It's amazing. And it's been done by Africans. John started it and he kind of goes around and goes, thumbs up to people. That's basically his job. And they're doing it. So he's not like the white guy at the beginning who's going and teaching the people over there. He's just got them started and given them a bit of encouragement and some tools. And then they go, Robert's seen this, and they're, they're changing nations. And that started out of Ivy. John used to be on staff before I got here. And I'm like, we should, we've got to keep on praying for and connecting with so this isn't about us suddenly scrubbing everybody that we help with mission stuff but it is about us being prayerful and strategic and saying what does it look like to have a global vision which is a word that I saw, I saw somewhere and I can't remember who said it but I thought it was it's like you grow locally so you've got a global and local vision yeah it's two words put together it's clever isn't it I like it maybe it's just me it won't work at a crossword. Global and local. We want, to, we want that, don't we? We want both. We want a vision that's, that's big for the world, but small enough for your neighbour. And connects them and includes them too. So we grow locally and we plant more churches regionally and nationally. And you know what? In the end, that ends up out of our control and that's not a bad thing because God's ultimately the one who does that. Even though it's hard to let go of control. And then we reach globally. And maybe we don't do the reaching, but we, again, we empower other people. And we help them to go to be able to reach more people for Jesus. And that's why I'm excited about stuff like this launch conference. And I'm excited about us being part of something called New Thing, which is something amazing that I think God's doing. And we happen to be a part of it. That, that is this church planting network that has stuff going on across Africa and I'm looking on my Facebook timeline I'm seeing at the moment they're planting they've got a whole group of people from Albania and they're training up all these churches to plant loads of churches across Eastern Europe I'm going on next week next Sunday I'm going to be in Romania as part of that and it's like unbelievable stuff that we get to be a part of all kinds of churches that God is starting all over the world so I kind of nicked this phrase from somewhere else not the Bible one, the other one. A disciple-making church movement is both our biblical origin and our prophetic future. It's like we look back to how the church got started. And beyond the Reformation 500 years ago, when we look to what Jesus started, and actually it was a disciple-making church movement, meeting in houses. And then when houses got big, then maybe they'd rent a space. And... And then they'd send some more people out to somewhere else to go and start more churches. And that's how it spread like wildfire for thousands of years, hundreds of years, until some churchy people got hold of it and started to make them meet in temples again. 
basilicas. So this is how you're going to meet. That, that's our biblical origin and our prophetic future. Where we are right now is right in the middle of that. And I kind of find that exciting. Should we pray? Thank you, Lord. Lord, that verse from Isaiah said, you said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? And I believe that that is a now word. You're doing so many new things that maybe 50 years, 100 years from now, people look at so much that we do as church and say, did they really do that? And did it... And didn't they ever wonder why it wasn't working? And why people weren't joining up and being a part of that? And why didn't they just go back to the scripture? In the same way as we look back to the Reformation and think, why did people ever believe that, that you had to pay some money in order to spring somebody's soul out of purgatory? People will look at so much of what we do and say, why did we ever believe that ministry was just going to be in the hands of a, a few people and that they could somehow get it done and that mission was something that we just sent people a few people to do Lord I pray that you would give us prophetic insight so that we don't miss what you're doing the new thing that you're doing in our day and that actually we would there's people here in this room Lord that we're we're meant to be a part of that. And I pray that each one of us, every person here would take responsibility for being a church leader as you leave this room. Your church might not have a building yet. Or it might. It might be your office building. It might not have many people yet. Or it might, and they might all be Facebook friends. But wherever that church is, Lord, help us to steward it well. Help us to have a, a, a vision that's big enough to enfold the whole world, but small enough to be able to reach one life at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.